0: They like the way that I present myself. Most of the people that are junior just do like read me on GitHub, but they love that they they actually made a website. What they're looking for maybe in a junior is more uh, personality, you know, if you're a good fit. if you'll fit in a team if you'll bring something to the table that's not necessarily just coding.
1: Hello and welcome to the Scrimper podcast. On this weekly show, I speak with successful developers about their advice on how to learn to code and get your first junior developer job. I'm Alex and today I'm joined by Mislav Markušević. After working in a record store for 14 years and at the age of 40, Mislav just completed the transition to become a web developer. At the center of Mislav's job hunting strategy? A beautiful portfolio bursting at the brim with interesting projects, including an app to fetch data about records and import that data into the point of sale system at his old record store job. This is what employers want to see, because although clone apps have their merits, nothing is more encouraging than solving real-world problems with code. But hey, I'm skipping to the end. Let's start from the beginning and hear how Mislav learned to code well enough to get a job. You are listening to the Scrimba Podcast. Let's get
0: into it. I actually never thought I would end up in coding after high school. I started law school, but... That just wasn't a good fit for me. And then I started working and some 20 years later or something, I realized I need to change careers and coding was the obvious choice because i was always around computers i was always you know mostly gaming but not only gaming i was doing some stuff and fixing computers for neighbors and family and so i just googled what kind of things i could do and i started
2: coding what kind of jobs were you doing were they like computer jobs or something else
0: i was mostly doing retail i worked in a record store for 14 years so that's been most of my working career. Obviously, you love music and
2: working in a record store probably has some advantages, but obviously wasn't the thing you were totally set on doing <laughs> since you went on to learn to code. What was the kind of catalyst after all those years that made you say, OK, now is the time to start learning coding? Well, it's
0: it's a great job, but, you know, the paycheck isn't so great there after all you're working just you know in a store no chances of progressing your career or something like that so i need something else and you know after quite some time it gets i could say boring you know it becomes all the same old same yeah man 14 years is a long
2: time to do anything yeah did you just wake up one morning and you were like okay today's the day or was it something you had to plan and strategize about a little bit
0: I don't really remember the moment I decided to go into coding maybe I've heard about more people who started coding and learned it on their own you know or some kind of shorter boot camps you know you didn't have to go to college anymore to become a coder so I think that that was part of the thing that pushed me that's very interesting actually because for so many years people
2: would assume that if they were going to change jobs and become a developer they would have to go to university or something and retrain and that's obviously Obviously, very time-intensive and costly.
0: That's what I thought when you know I finished high school. Back then, I don't know any any programmer. That was self-taught. Do you mind if I ask how old you are, Miss Love? I'm forty now.
2: So yeah, back then, hundred percent, like self-taught developers did not even really exist. Or if they did, it wasn't quite as normal as it is today. And I just think there's something so powerful about seeing other people doing it. It gives you that confidence, or at least that hope that you can do it as well. But then obviously you don't have a uh, university, which has a bunch of benefits, right? Because you get a curriculum, you get structure, you get teachers, you get classmates, you know, all these good things. So
0: how did you go about learning to code? Well, I started Googling, you know, uh, how can I start without maybe investing too much money in it in the beginning? Because, you know, I wasn't really sure if it's going to work or something. And I didn't have time to go, you know, full in. But I started looking around and I found Free Code camp and I found some courses on Udemy and that got me started. I actually found Scrimba at that point somewhere, but then I lost it again. So it took me maybe a year or even more to find Scrimba again.
2: No way, that's mad. <laughs> what sort of brought you back to Scrimba? Like was it a particular course maybe?
0: I think there was uh, like a video on YouTube someone doing Scrimba. And I thought, ah, oh, this is so cool, you know, such a good concept. And then I just couldn't find, I forgot what the, what the name of it was. I knew it was something like, like a lion, you know, Simba.
2: <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't find
0: a video again. So it took me a while to find you guys again.
2: So you did Free Code Camp and you to me to start off with. And then later on, you sort of rediscovered Scrimba. Still, that's about a year of your timeline and one of the big challenges I think even when you've got resources like Free Code Camp, which is awesome you sort of have to make these decisions about what technologies to learn so maybe you start with a decision like do you do websites do you do mobile apps do you do
0: services do you do IoT do you go into data I went to Stack Overflow on that survey they have every year most people doing what kind of programming language and most higher people doing you know and it all came down basically to javascript that was basically the thing i knew i needed to to learn
2: a hundred percent javascript is one of the best technologies to learn both for what it offers in terms of learning opportunities like if you learn javascript you have a great jumping off point for ever tech and you can do it all from your web browser so the barrier to entry is very low obviously there's a lot of jobs since almost every website uses javascript and javascript also works on servers and iot and stuff but at the same time you sometimes go down this path for a while and then you're tempted a little bit by like oh maybe i should do some c plus or like maybe i should do some java or something because i hear that's good did you sort of choose javascript and lock in on it
0: or were you ever tempted to try other things i am tempted in some kind of a near future to learn python but no i i knew i i needed to learn javascript first and learn it you know good before going to something else You came into this with the goal of
2: getting a job as a developer, which I think is great. Some people maybe aren't 100% sure about their end goal. They just want to see how far they can go. But for you, you knew exactly what your destination
0: was. Did that influence the way you approached your studies at all? I would say not really. It took me a while to get to, let's say, React that I knew was highly hireable, you know, but I was spending a lot of time on on, uh, vanilla JavaScript. How long did it take you
2: overall to go from, you know, day one to the day that you eventually, and I can't wait to get into this, by the way, got your first job as a developer? Three plus years. Three and a half or
0: something like that. Yeah. Would you say that's a long time or? Yeah. Yeah, it is. But I wasn't pressured, you know, by time. I I had a daily job. I had a family, so the time was always the main issue there. But you know, I wasn't in no rush. So give me some idea.
2: Like, how did you approach your daily studies? Obviously, you had a job and a family, as you mentioned. How many hours a day could you spend coding? And how did you make sure that you spent time on it? Because you know, when you're busy in life, it's so easy for things like learning to code which requires a lot of energy and focus and quiet and calm which isn't
0: always possible when you have family you know how did you make it happen it all depends Uh, Some days I would sit in front of a computer trying to code or learn to code or something for like eight hours. Other days it would be only like half an hour. There were a lot of periods I didn't do coding at all, like two months breaks or something like that. Was that the right thing for you to do in retrospect? You know, there's pros and cons. I think that somehow after those breaks, I realized that what I learned before was... Really there, you know, it somehow consolidated the knowledge and I I knew I wasn't doing it in vain. Maybe I wouldn't get that if I didn't have the breaks. Well, So I would would have done it sooner, most likely.
2: There's a great example. There's an advert here in the UK that used to air where two cars would leave home at the same time, two separate households uh, to get to work. And one driver was like frantically rushing to the car. They rev up the car. They drive off as quickly as possible. They speed up to every red light. They get stuck in traffic. The other person is just listening to classical music, sipping on their latte, you know, in their travel flask. And okay, yes, the person who was rushing Gets there like 15 seconds earlier, the hair is a mess, they're super disgruntled, and 15 seconds later, while listening to classical music, this Civic car just like rolls up to work and is much happier and probably less phased <laughs> and will have a better day as a result. I always think about that when I think about goals, because sometimes to go fast, you have to
0: go kind of slow. 15, they say. It's Latin for like rush, but slowly, something like that. There's definitely something here, and I'm curious
2: to learn more about the experience of people listening. Maybe they can tweet at me and let us know, sort of how they're approaching their studies, whether they feel this urgency or if instead they're taking their time. I've gone back and forth on this so many times over the last few years of my career, including learning how to code myself, because oftentimes I would bring this urgency to my goals, and what would happen is two things. Number one, I would sort of make bad decisions because I wasn't taking my time to plan and think properly. And the other thing is that I would inevitably sort of burn out because I was doing too much. And when you zoom out, I was actually going quite slowly, but then long-term consistency always wins in my experience, because, you know, if your goal is to learn to code and you want to do this for the rest of your life, then you need to find, I think, a sustainable pace that works for you.
0: And that sounds like exactly what you did actually. Yeah. And then, you know, I got hired at 40, so I still have like good 20, 25, years in me of a working career. So
2: I think that's plenty. I agree, man. That's such a bloody great perspective as well, because a lot of people, I think when they get to that sort of age, they think that, you know, it's done, but you've got so much left to go. And I think I mentioned this on a recent episode as well. You know, say you're 60 years old coding with 20 years of experience and you're talking to another 60 year old developer who's been doing it since they were maybe not the most likely example in this case, but say they've been doing it since they were a teenager. You know, you probably couldn't really tell the difference at that point because technology moves so fast. Yeah.
3: If you have some free time these days, check out ScreamBuzz YouTube channel. Recently, we made a video where Alex is reenacting a day as a learner developer. You'll hear about a lot of things he wishes he knew when he was starting, you'll see him struggling with React, and you'll also learn some new morning affirmations. I will
2: remember my semicolons today. I do not need Stack Overflow. Undefined is a function.
3: The link is in the show notes. And the interview with Miss Love will continue in just a second. But first, Alex wants to ask you for a favor. I wanted to please ask that if you're enjoying this episode
2: and what we do on the Scrimba pod, that you leave a five-star rating in your podcast app of choice. If you really want to make mine and Yan the producers days, write some feedback with your review. It could be something encouraging, which would make us happy, but at the same time, it doesn't have to be glowing. We would rather know what we can improve than have someone quietly turn out.
3: That's right. We will also switch up the format of the show a bit next year to make it even better. So if you have any suggestions, you can also tweet at us. You can find Alex's Twitter handle and the show notes. And speaking of next year, in our next episode, which is already in 2023, we're talking to Don Hansen, a.k.a. Don the Developer, a full stack engineer, YouTuber and coach, who helps aspiring web developers navigate through the BS. When I was like 14, I actually wanted to build websites for like my favorite video games. Big fan of Starcraft and different Zelda games. And so I built my first uh, X page website. I think that's the name of it. And I kind of just want to get information on the page. I thought it was really cool that I could create something like that. So I've honestly experimented with coding ever since I was little. I built a web hosting company when I was 18. Then I went to college for computer networking. Super boring. Switched to psychology. Very interesting. But then I volunteered at the crisis center in Lafayette. And I realized I didn't want to do that full time. And so what I would do to de-stress the entire time is just like code on the side. Then I became an aquatics director, um, did like lifeguard swim instructional. A lot of that just to like pay the bills. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. And then I would de-stress through coding. I'd go home and I'd code for a few hours. Don's next week on the Scramba podcast. And now we're back to the interview with Love.
2: So, you know, you've been doing this at a fairly sustainable pace. At some point, you have to ask yourself, you know, when are you ready to apply for
0: jobs? How did you approach it? Oh, I was bad at it. I know I should have done it much sooner, but I basically didn't even apply to the job. My friend knew, he's a programmer, and he knew that I was teaching myself to do it. And he just one day messaged me, you know, have you done your portfolio yet? And I sent him my portfolio and he forwarded to some people at this company and he knew that they were looking for for a front-end developer. And they just contacted me and we did an interview and, you know, that was
2: it. This person who forwarded your your resume and portfolio, where did you meet them? Like, how did you cross paths? He's my longtime friend, you know? We grew up together, basically. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Like, once again, proving it's not what you know, it's who you know. (laughs) Yeah. When that happened, did you feel like maybe you should have started applying
0: sooner? Because sometimes you don't think you're quite ready to start applying. Oh, I wasn't ready at all. I knew I was getting close, you know? I was uh, finishing on my portfolio and my plan was like, Let's do this and put in a couple of projects, you know, that were still unfinished and then just go for it, you know, start hooking it all up to LinkedIn account and everything. But, you know, this came like maybe a month earlier than I anticipated to, you know, start applying to jobs. I still didn't think that I would get it right away when I started applying. So... it was like a a year plan or something. So you must have
2: been pleasantly surprised when this opportunity
0: came about. Yeah. What do you think they
2: liked about your portfolio? Because obviously if your friend said, hey, I know this company and then he forwarded your portfolio and they they didn't like it, they probably wouldn't interview you. So what do you think were the good parts about your portfolio that made them feel confident that you were worth talking to?
0: Well, actually the manager said that they liked the way that I presented myself. Uh, Most of the people that are junior just do like read me on GitHub, but they loved that they, they actually made a website. They could see that I can do it, you know, and that I can host it, and that I've gone through all the process of getting it online. So, what kind of projects did you feature on your portfolio? At the record store, I made a small app that fetched albums info from Discogs. It's a big marketplace online, so it was you know something that actually helped us work <laughs> faster at my previous job. So there was one project and the other project was a bar menu. You know, I made it for a friend's bar. So it was like, you know, you scan the QR code and you get an online menu.
2: I'm looking at your portfolio and there's like a price list and there's also like a form. Probably that form is for your friend to add new items to the menu, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, awesome. I'm so excited. We've stumbled upon your portfolio because I, I found it by the way, and we'll link it in the show notes. It's so good. Like I love the design. It's awesome. Uh, thank you. Just having your headshot there and then just a very friendly introduction. I like that you've got this section with four columns, which is like, why hire me? Efficiency, goal orientated, problem solving and teamwork. Now the details of that aside, what I really, really like is that your page has an objective. I think so. Many times when developers create a portfolio they're not asking themselves what do i want this page to achieve you know they may be undecided about their goal they're like maybe i'll get a freelance opportunity maybe i'll get an internship opportunity maybe i'll get a job uh, i don't know maybe i just won't say what i want because if they have something that's interesting to me but they don't think i want it they won't reach out but no if that doesn't actually work by the way you have to sort of narrow down your focus a bit and that, that's exactly what you did And then you've got like the projects, which are great because they have stories. I think that, you know, there are so many generic looking apps out there, no apps, whatever. But in this case, you've actually gone and built things for your friends or that help you with your job. You're using code to solve real problems. And I think that's so cool to see. And of course it paints a bit of a picture as well. No wonder they were keen to speak with you. I'll just point one last thing out, which uh, I'm kind of curious, you know, what your thought process was here because you added a page about hobbies and you know, some Some people would say, "Mm, maybe keep your portfolio just about coding. Other people are like, well, actually, no, I'm a human being that's going to bring my whole self to the job. I want to talk a little bit about my hobbies as well. How did you think about it?
0: You know, when you're a junior, you don't really know how to code really well. Any company that's going to hire you knows that what they're looking for maybe in a junior year is more uh, personality, you know, if you're a good fit, if you'll fit in a team, if you'll, you know, bring something to the table that's not necessarily just coding. Because basically, I think everybody can learn to code, but to work efficiently in a team that's maybe something else that's maybe harder to learn.
2: You actually wrote a post, which we're also going to link in the show notes. The post is called My Roadmap to Getting Hired as a Frontend Dev. And in it, you describe a little bit of what we spoke about already, like how you started with FreeCodeCamp and Udemy before moving on to Scrimba. And then you also mentioned that you listen to a lot of podcasts. Hey, I'm just so honored the Scrimba podcast was mentioned in that list. But you also talk about a lot of very, very good podcasts like Code Newbie, Syntax, HTML, all the things of my friend, Mike Karan. So cool to see. But the thing I'm trying to take away from this is that you sort of described that 50% of your tech interview answers came from podcasts. And... Somehow I get the impression that you had a good idea of what the employers were looking for uh, when it came to your portfolio. But I was surprised to hear that almost half of your tech interview answers came from podcasts. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Not just
0: that, I think podcasts were the single most influential thing on my learning. Like half my answers were just from podcasts. But also I knew that I could learn how to code, that I could get a job just from listening to all the juniors that came on on Screenplay podcast and on some others. They always say, you know, you can do it. There wasn't a doubt that I, I couldn't do it. Uh, Just by listening, you know, to podcasts.
2: Yeah, sometimes I think podcasts are a bit of a cheat code for job interviews. And that's actually the point of the Scrimper podcast in a lot of ways. When we get to learn about what impressed the hiring managers, what questions were asked during the interview, it gives you some impression about what they value. And it helps you decide what to prioritize when you talk. I think when you're looking for a job and you're interviewing, you are essentially selling yourself. And whenever you're selling something, whether it's yourself or a car or a kitchen installation, you're always needing to put yourself in the shoes of the person you're selling to. Like, what do they value? What are their objections? How can I overcome these things? You can't do that unless you have some exposure to it. Maybe we can sort of pay it forward a little bit and learn about your interview process at the company. So obviously you got in touch through your friend. The company reached out to you, I guess. Like, what did they say? And can you tell us a bit about the interview process? Like what the steps looked like and what kind of questions and things they were looking for?
0: Well, actually, there was just one interview. First, I talked to the head of the department, and he was just, you know, filling me around, you know, with with questions about, you know, how did I learn? What do I know? And he was just looking for, you know, am I a good fit for the team? And then the senior front-end developer came in, and he started asking me questions, you know, and those were basic questions, starting with, you know, HTML, CSS, then JavaScript. And you know, like I said, a lot of answers I knew from podcasts. Something that you don't really learn while coding. For example, one of the questions was: Is JavaScript single threaded or multi threaded? That's not something you come across on Udemy or or on Scrimba or wherever. So things like that you can learn on either on on YouTube or on or in podcasts the whole interview was like hour and a half long maybe even longer and I getting to the end I was more and more sure I knew something that I have a real chance of getting hired I think And yeah, the senior developer told me, you know, you have some knowledge that usually we don't expect from a junior to have like server side rendering. I was using the concepts from the Next.js, you know, that's not something a junior developer necessarily needs to know or, you know, stuff like that.
2: I like what you're saying because obviously you go and watch courses and they teach quite specific things, but sometimes just by watching conference talks or listening to podcasts or flicking through newsletters or watching YouTube videos here and there, listening to other developers chat on a live stream. You just kind of build this worldview of coding and it's really the case that when you start something new, you kind of know what you know, which probably isn't very much. And then you've got a near field view of what you know you don't know. So maybe you're like, oh, I've heard of this thing React, but I don't know anything about it. But as the quotes goes, it's the things that you don't know, you don't know that will get you because you can't make a plan to learn about things you don't even know exist. So kind of submerging yourself, I think, in the tech world and content around tech, I think uh, really helped you here. I'm just getting a bit of a picture now for learning to code for around three years and you know, knowing things about server-side rendering, I definitely get the impression that they were like, Oh my god, this guy hasn't like been hired already. He should have applied to jobs a year ago. He was a junior a year ago. He knows about server-side rendering, that's great. I'm not sure if this was the case exclusively, but you know, waiting a little bit to have the best technical skills you can, it can be a very effective strategy. Yeah, I was just, you know, waiting to feel ready, which didn't come. <laughs> it never does. So, give us a bit of context there. Like, what, what is the company? Like, what do they do? How many people do they employ? It's
0: a smaller company. We have uh, around 20 employees. It's a big data company, a machine learning AI. And I'm doing the front end part of it. We have a couple of projects, but I'm on one project at the moment. My mentor is a senior front end developer. And on my team, there are a couple of more front end people and a couple of back end people
2: you've been at the company for I think a month today yes perfect timing because I'm really excited to learn a bit more about your experience on the job so far somehow I feel like no matter how many Scrum courses you watch or how many podcasts you listen to nothing like truly prepares you for your first job because it's a very unique environment like there's no real simulation of it online except for maybe like open source in the right context so let's just start at the very beginning like Tell us about your first few days on the job.
0: Like, How were you feeling and what stuff did you get up to? Well, the beginning was, you know, you start, you get a laptop or something and then you have to install everything and get a project from GitHub or whichever place. And that can take some time. It took me like three days to actually start working something, you know. And then you have to read through all the code. If it's not a new project, it can be overwhelming, you know. Uh, a lot of code that you don't really read while you're learning you know because every piece of code basically you wrote on your own now you have you know different people uh, doing different code structure and you have to you know read through all of it, maybe learn some new technologies that you don't know. And yeah, it can be problematic in, in the beginning, but you start with small tasks if you're lucky like me and get a great team. They gave me, you know, small tasks to familiarize myself with the code and with what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. So baby steps.
2: How many lines of code would you say this code base you're working on is? By the way, I totally see what you're saying. Like when you're learning to code, you write and read all your own code pretty much. But then you go into a team and not only is it someone else's code, there's a lot of it. I don't know. I would say... 15,000 lines of code, maybe. Yeah, quite significant in comparison to like some of the apps you might build when you're learning.
0: And you, of course you have all those known modules, all those dependencies that have some code that maybe you need to read to get what you're trying to do.
2: Yeah, 100%. And what kind of meetings did you have in your first few days? Like, did you kind of have some one-on-one meetings or stand-ups, or did you get lunch with the team or something? Like, what was the sort of social and meeting experience like? We just have
0: one meeting a week, every Tuesday. But you know, I'm I'm always uh, asking my my mentor, you know, how to do something, or I'm not doing it all alone. And a lot of times, he spends with me, you know, like uh, pair coding or something.
2: How does it feel to have a mentor and help after all these years doing it
0: by yourself? Oh, That's great. A lot of times, you know, I would just get stuck and don't know how to proceed. And sometimes I even uh, stopped doing the project because I was, you know, so stuck. I didn't know what to ask. You know, I could go to Stack Overflow, but, you know, how to ask what I'm needing, you know, that was the problem. Now I know more. I know how to search for something And and having a mentor is just, you know, You can see progress going on daily when you have a mentor like that. I'm
2: going to ask you a slightly silly question. Okay. I want you to imagine you're a car on the motorway. Okay. I want you to tell me like, how many miles per hour do you think you were going learning at home by yourself? And now you're at the job and you're learning on a real code base with mentors and you can spend all day doing it. And obviously you're getting paid so you can focus on it full
0: time. How many sort of miles per hour are you going now? Okay. Let's say I'm at 60 now on a highway and I was on like, Fifteen, twenty, or something i was you know pulled over by cups for for going too <laughs> slow
2: <laughs> that's awesome the funny thing about being a junior developer is that sometimes you fall in this trap of thinking that you need to join a company and hit the ground running and you know you need to be like really really highly skilled to get started but actually what a junior developer opportunity represents is someone investing in your potential they see that you have enough foundation that they can speed you up they can help you learn quicker they can help you start contributing to real code bases quicker and they can accelerate your career not least of which because you're getting paid and you can focus on it full time i spoke with madison connor recently and she was a self-taught developer learning at home she went to a company in her area it was actually in the bay area and said hi can i work for you for free for a couple of months Uh, so it's actually got nothing to do with money in her case but once she joined the team she describes her learning as two three times faster just like yourself Miss Love. so i think we're getting onto something here what are some of the things that surprised you about working on a real software team I don't know,
0: it's like in the beginning, it's hard to find anything, you know. I opened a project in a browser and I couldn't find where an element is, you know. How to find which CSS part is controlling and, you know. You have to just read through the structure and to see what is where. And, you know, first day was like, damn, I don't know anything. (laughs) And today, how do you feel about it a month later? Oh, much better. Much better.
2: Month isn't that long, you know? Like, it's it's kind of funny how quickly things can change.
0: Yeah. But, you know, now I know at least where I can find something. So now that you've got the
2: job, now that you're sort of uh, beginning, your very beginning is behind you, what are like some of the things that you wish you knew that you could maybe share with people? People listening today like
0: what's something you learned that you wish you knew at the beginning maybe I think using a small amount of TypeScript would be much better not running into many issues that, that I ran into when I was learning you know With TypeScript you can set variables to be specific types and a lot of times most likely you know it would be is something undefined and can it be undefined you know and the problem that it is actually undefined when you think it's for sure not undefined is is a problem that's something that the typescript will let you know while writing code so that's a very interesting perspective
2: actually because you definitely don't need to know typescript to get a junior developer job and some people might even say that like typescript is a distraction or something because you know you can just focus on javascript and typescript obviously has a learning curve since you're now learning about a statically typed language but maybe in the long term you know just the basics of typescript right you're only describing type checking basically because it'll save you so much time in the long run when you're like hitting your head against the keyboard because apparently undefined is not a function or you're passing an integer when you're meant to pass a string or something just silly like that. I'm with you 100% by the way because I started my development journey using statically typed languages. I had this big catalyst where I switched to frontend and JavaScript and Linux and Node and all that stuff and just the amount of stupid bugs I ran into with JavaScript that never would have happened with static typing and, and you know the amount of time I wasted. TypeScript wasn't as a uh, established back then by the way but now it is I think maybe you're onto something
0: yeah it's great that you can you know opt in and ease in into TypeScript now like you can incrementally adopt it can't you yeah
2: so that just means that like vanilla JavaScript is technically TypeScript like you can do no TypeScript and still call it a TS file but then you can gradually or incrementally use the simplest features then if you need them more complicated features later yeah your project at work you're using TypeScript or something there Uh, yeah yeah we're using TypeScript it really makes a big difference on teams as well doesn't it because now your code is a bit more like self-documenting and obviously when you're working with others you don't always have the context around what a function is meant to return or what some service is meant to return just having a bit of type annotations can really make the code more easy to understand well Miss Love, i'm so happy that you got this opportunity sounds like things are off to a great start thank you so much for taking some time to hang out with me and tell us about your story here on the scrimper podcast thank you
3: That's it for the last episode of the Scrimba podcast in 2022. We haven't skipped a single week this year. So if you're new to this show, feel free to go through our backlog. There are 52 great interviews from this year alone. If you made it this far, of course, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're tweeting about the show, make sure to mention Alex. Once again, his Twitter handle is in the show notes. I'm your producer, Jan, and we will see you next year.